Wow, we are in week eight out of ten. We are definitely in the home stretch. I'm kind of sorry because this has been a great study and I just want it to go on. How many of you have been to one of our Christmas dinner theaters here at Bachelor Creek? That's awesome. Most of you. Well, what you probably don't know is how Cheryl and I got started doing dinner theaters in the first place. When I was on staff at the church in Florida about 25 years ago, we tried something a little risky. One Sunday, we offered reverse tithing. That is, we did not collect an offering. Instead, we passed out envelopes of money. You see, the lesson that week was on Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Let me read that to you. This is the parable of the bags of gold. So this is one of the, the kingdom of heaven is like parables. There's a bunch of them, but that's what I want you to know before we get started. Because it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags of gold. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two bags more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who, who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that was the lesson that Sunday morning. 
And we passed out these envelopes of money and we trusted the congregation to take their money, to take their bags of gold and see what they could do with it. So Cheryl and I, along with two other couples, we took our gold and, and we bought supplies for a meal. We wrote a mystery dinner theater and we sold tickets. We told our story, served a nice meal, had a great time, and more than doubled our bags of gold. We then had a celebration Sunday where everyone who took an envelope or bag of gold brought their gold to the church. Some people made crafts and sold them. Some people baked goods and sold them. The point was to take what was given to you and do something with it. It was fun. It was profitable. And everyone who participated will always remember that parable. That parable is, as I said, uh, the kingdom of God is like parable. I've often thought that that would make a really good sermon series because there are a bunch of parables of the kingdom of heaven is like. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked more about the kingdom of heaven than anything else in his ministry. That parable is also about money. And Jesus talked more about money than faith, prayer, or even love. In fact, money was second only to the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to know why we talk about money from this stage, it's because Jesus talked about it. And some may say, there they go, asking for money again. We don't talk about money here because we're not taking in enough. If you start giving, that does not mean I'm getting a raise. We talk about money here because it is an important spiritual issue. The way you view money will show you if you trust God for your future. Let's start at the beginning. We'll start with Jacob, who became Israel. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. We kind of concentrate on three of them. Joseph, who got the coat of many colors, he had prophetic dreams, and he was able to interpret the dreams of the king, and by doing that, he kind of ended up saving everybody. And Jesus is, is often compared to Joseph. Levi, whose descendants became the priest of God, starting with Aaron, and then Judah. Judah's descendant is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So Jacob's 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now fast forward about 500 years and these tribes, this nation of Israel crosses over the Jordan and claims the promised land. And each tribe claimed their own land. But God's plan did not allow one of the tribes to inherit their own territory. Do you know which tribe that was? It was the Levites. The Levites were the priests, the musicians, the caretakers of the synagogue, their church. And to support that tribe, to support the work of the synagogue, their church, everyone was supposed to give 10% of their wealth each year to the tribe of Levi. They didn't get their own land, but they got God's provision. It was the Levites and only the Levites who could offer sacrifices to God. The Levites were the liaison between God's people and God. 
I've always wondered why Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi, because Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our mediator, our liaison between us and God. But if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, then you're going to see some pretty unsavory characters, kind of like me, kind of like you. Uh, Okay, I guess God did have a better plan. But the tithe, the tithe was set up so that you were giving to God, to his temple, to his work. Was it because God needed the money? No, of course not. For 40 years, the nation of Israel wandered in the desert. And they saw with their own eyes God's provision. He provided manna for them to eat when they were hungry. When they were thirsty, he brought water out of a rock. When they were in danger, he parted the Red Sea. They saw some pretty awesome things that God did to supply their needs. He had proved himself over and over to his people. Now he just wanted them to trust him above everything else trust him after all what can he not do many times we the children of god look at the tithe like it's a tax on christians now we pay a government tax and in return we have roadways and we have fire departments and police departments we have people that represent us in the city and state and federal arenas we have an army to protect our way of life i mean we can we may not like to pay our taxes but we can at least see how some of our money is used and we can actually use how some of our money is used and if you truly want to quantify it you can see how and, and use some of what your tithe goes for. It pays for this building, the salaries of the staff, the programs of every area of the church. It gets sent out to ministries locally and all around the world to further the kingdom of God. Will we use your tithe? Yes. Is that the reason to give your tithe? Not really. It's trust. It's all about trust. Just like the people of Israel, God wants you to put your trust in him. When Cheryl and I first got married, Cheryl's grandmother gave us some essential advice. Learn to tithe and pray together. Sounds simple, right? A little harder in practice. True prayer was a, a private thing between me and God, you know? I mean, I, I talked to, to God. I shared personal things. I confessed my sin before God. And I wasn't sure I was ready to do that with somebody else, even though we were married. After all, uh, I, I also wasn't used to praying out loud at, at that point in time. And people who prayed out loud had polished and practiced elegant prayers that they prayed. And, and I, I wasn't that. Uh, honestly, Prayer is just a conversation with God. Nothing false, just talking. But that's something I had to learn. But the tithe, tithing, man, uh, that took some time. I mean, we were stretched to the limit financially. 
taking 10% away from what we made just wasn't going to work. There is such a thing as math, right? We kept hearing these preachers quoting Malachi 3, 8 through 10. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So God says, test him in this. And when we finally started to tithe, well, we weren't in any better shape. In fact, we were more in debt than ever. But when we put our heart to tithing, God passed the test. Oh, I wouldn't say the floodgates of heaven were opened. We weren't all of a sudden wealthy because we started tithing. But we were able to pay our bills, no matter what the math said. We simply didn't miss the money we gave. In Matthew 19, starting in verse 16, a, a, a rich man comes up, up to Jesus, and this is, this is the story that follows. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired, Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? You see, a common misconception of the day was that if you were rich, you were being blessed by God. So rich equaled righteousness. And Jesus was telling them how wrong they were. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, if I could only win the lottery, all my problems would be solved. I mean, with enough money, you can fix almost any issue you have, right? Could you? Let me tell you a true story. In June of 1997, a man named Billy Bob Harold Jr. took the $31 million Texas lottery jackpot. At first, all was great. Harold purchased a ranch. He bought a half dozen homes for himself and other family members. He and his wife and all the kids got new automobiles. He made large contributions to his church. If members of the congregation needed help, Billy Bob was there with cash. 
Then suddenly Harold discovered that his life was unraveling almost as quickly as it had come together. Everyone, it seemed, family, friends, fellow worshipers, and strangers was putting the touch on him. His spending and his lending spiraled out of control. In February, those tensions splintered his already strained marriage. And tragically, 20 months after winning the lottery, Harold committed suicide. I chose this particular story because <laughs> this is what I thought I would do if I were to ever win the lottery. I'd set up my kids, I'd set up myself for retirement, give to the church, of course, and, and I'd give to people in need as I came across them. I wouldn't be selfish. After all, it'd be easy to give, right? But Billy Bob's story is one of so many. Suicides, murders, addictions, losing friends and family estrangements all come from winning it big. In so many situations, people who won it big wish they never did. In fact, they were happier before they did. There is a saying that money does not bring happiness. And there is another saying that says only people with money say that. Well, maybe we should listen to those who have experience in that area, right? King Solomon, known as the wisest man ever, had it all. Wealth, women, music, slaves. He built great buildings, including the temple for God. He was the epitome of success. And what did he say about it all? Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, he wraps it up in just two verses. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Does God want you to be wealthy? No. God wants you to trust him. Can you be wealthy and still love God? Sure. God knows what you can handle. But in truth, many times wealth brings suffering. Remember the parable of the bags of gold? The one who had received five bags gained five more. And in verse 21 it says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the conclusion of that parable says, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. If you know how to handle what God has given you, your time, your wealth, your possessions, God will increase what he has given you so that you can continue in your work. Not so that you can be wealthy, but so that you can continue in your work, in his work. In 2 Corinthians, starting, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Early on in our marriage, I was working for a, a private contractor who had gotten himself into some financial trouble. I continued working for him, but I had not been paid for over a month. I remember going to the grocery store and trying to make our last few dollars count. Cheryl and I were discussing what we could and couldn't afford, and almost everything was in the couldn't line. We were in one aisle of the store, and from another aisle, someone came up to us and handed us $20. Tears filled our eyes. $20 then was more like $50 now. Do you know what we felt at that moment? Gratitude, of course. But we felt God's arms wrapping around us. We heard God say, I've got you. A short time later, I, I told the man I was working for that I could no longer work for him. I never did get the money that he owed me for the month's work, but I filed for unemployment. And for a few weeks, we received food stamps, and we had never eaten so good. We always had to be careful what we sent, but at that point, my food budget made that $20 seem like nothing. And do you know what I felt at that moment? Nothing. Entitled, maybe. Shame, little, when I handed over the stamps at checkout. But I didn't feel God's arms around me. I didn't feel loved. Do you know what the difference was? It was you. State-sponsored programs like food stamps, welfare, that wasn't God's plan. God wants you to feed the hungry. God wants you to help the poor. Last week, Tyler read you the passage following the parable of talents. It was the parable of the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, 35 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they asked, when, Jesus? When did we do any of that for you? We just don't remember helping you. You see, that, that, parable, that parable is describing how God wants you to live, how we're supposed to live. For I was hungry, and you gave me $20 for something to eat. That person sacrificed what they had earned for me, and, and it was given joyfully with love. And let me tell you, I will never forget it. I don't remember their face, but I remember the love. You want to know how God views money, how God feels about money? That's it. It is a tool in the hands of his people to give someone in need something to eat, something to drink, clothes to wear, medicine to take, a place to sleep even for a night. Money in the hands of God's people becomes his arms, his love, his voice saying, I've got you. Years ago, after church, after church was over, Cheryl and I took the kids to the, the video store to rent some movies for the day. That's how long it's been. At the checkout, I overheard a man asking about churches that he could call to get some help. He didn't know that there was no worse time to try to get a hold of a church than right after Sunday morning worship. I didn't have any cash on me. I didn't carry cash. And I knew that if I spoke up, that it was going to take time away from my family, so I kept quiet. I had an opportunity to show someone the kind of love that I had been shown, and I let it pass me by. To this day, it is my great shame. Christian financial counselors would have you Divide your earnings into three categories. Give, save, and spend. Give 10%, save 10%, and spend the remaining 80%. The give part, that's your tithe. That is you saying, I trust you, God, to supply my needs. Even if the mass says it can't, you said you can. So I trust you. If you're not there yet, let me encourage you. Test him. Like he asked us to. Test him. Like I did. I can't tell you just how he will make it work in your given situation. I just know he can. I also know that if you don't want to trust him in this part of your life, if you want to keep control of your finances, he is going to let you do that. I wouldn't recommend it. I tried it my way. I made a mess. When I finally gave it over to him, things started to turn around. Now for a challenge. Those Christian financial people are pretty smart, so let's keep that formula. Give 10%, save 10%, spend. Here's where the challenge comes from. I want you to change the wording just a little, okay? Tithe, 10%. Save, 10%. Give, 
a percent. Spend the rest. Try a percentage to give. You might start with just one percent. That is one percent of earnings that you carry with you to bless somebody along your way. Buy somebody's meal at a restaurant. Buy somebody's gas at the station. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Ask him to show you someone to bless along your way. You will be amazed. Your tithe goes to the church. What you give goes beyond that. For I was hungry, and you gave me 1% of what you earned last month. And I will never forget it. Through you, God just wrapped his arms around me and said, I've got you. We are collectors. We look for the next great gadget, technology, passport, stamps, experiences. We need bigger, better house, nicer, newer cars. We love comfort. Cheryl and I, we like to watch the HGTV shows like Fixer Upper and Hidden Potential and Property Brothers. Well, there's one thing on Property Brothers that Drew says in almost every episode, and it gives me a chill, and not the good kind. He says, you deserve it. Theologically speaking, we don't deserve anything but hell. We certainly don't deserve bigger, better, brighter, newer. That's collecting treasure for ourselves here on earth. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Take that. 1% or whatever percent you decide to give store up some heavenly treasure this whole series builds up one message on top of another to form one complete message on what God wants from us on how God wants us to live but take Tyler's message last week and combine that with your finances and you will store up treasure in heaven and it will change your life and it will change the life of those you touch along the way they may not remember you but they will never forget the day that God said I've got you in just a moment the worship team is going to come forward and they're going to sing one more song and I just want to invite some of you that, that if, if you feel the need or the desire to, to come forward and maybe have somebody pray along beside you, we want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you've been thinking about accepting Jesus. We had somebody do that in our first service. And we want somebody to be able to come up beside you and, and help walk you through that. So take this time, use it to to move forward and there will be people here who will meet you and if you need to go to the back porch they'll, they'll take you there too just to, to talk a while alright let's pray together